We've arrived at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, which is actually the chapter that explains pretty much why he's written this book. The book is, on the whole, a defense of Paul's ministry. That's what it is. He is defending his entire ministry. Remember, he's talked about the fact that they, these people that have come into Corinth uh, have just blistered him right and left. They have talked about how he made promises he didn't keep. They've just gone over the top. And so the entire book, basically, is him defending his ministry. Now, there are a couple reasons why you defend yourself. Sometimes you defend yourself because you're just still a third grader. You're petulant, you're petty, and you're childish, and so somebody says something about you, and you pop them back just because you're a third grader. Which is fine when you're a third grader, but it's bad when you're 25. Sometimes we defend ourselves because our life's at stake. When I was uh, in junior high school, long story short, and went to a church one Wednesday night. We went all the time, and there was a business meeting that night, and they accused the pastor of having an affair with a lady. His car had been parked outside our house, all this stuff. And so naturally, he defended himself as his wife defended him uh, because his, he was losing everything. He was losing his career, his job, his money, his income. I mean, everything. So he obviously defended himself. Now, Paul spends an entire book defending himself for neither of those reasons. He's not petty. And if this church dumps on him, he doesn't pastor here. He doesn't live here. This is why we have four letters to the Corinthians that we know about. He's not in Corinth. It's been a year and a half there, but he's gone now. He's traveling all over the world. He's going to go to jail in Caesarea. He's going to go to jail in Rome. He gets out of jail in Rome. He's going to probably go up into Spain, wind up back in Rome. He's all over the place. The last thing he's doing, if this church dumps on him, they're not paying his salary. He's not connected to them. And yet he spends an entire book defending his ministry to this church against the people that have come in behind him. Now, the first part of chapter 10, we understand why. Now, you need to remember something. This is probably written about 56 A.D. The first gospel isn't even written until 65 A.D. There is no Bible they don't have any books. They don't have any internet. They can't Google anything. Printing press is 1,400 years away. They don't have Bibles in their home. So they can't... The only thing they know is the teaching of the apostles who will go through 100 A.D. By then, the Bible's pretty much settled in the church. But until then... If they leave what Paul's teaching and they go to what these people are teaching, they lose everything. Now, this passage is critical for us today. I uh, had a couple tell me that they, they live in the Metroplex and in the Metroplex you have you have Dallas Theological, 
You have Southwestern Seminary. You have Criswell College, all of whom teach that you take a passage of Scripture, you figure out what it said to those people, and then you pull it out and you give it to your church. And yet, in the area they lived in, mid-cities, there were only three churches they knew of that did exactly that. It's not our day. Now listen to what he says. We're going to have to read a couple of verses. Listen. Chapter 10. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And then he gets a little sarcastic here. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing a gift some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. Even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening with you in my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are committing themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. Now, here's what he says. These guys have come to the church he founded and they've said several things about him which he acknowledges are true. They've said, man, he uses his authority to tell you what to do, what's right and wrong. Absolutely, as an apostle, that was their calling. They were the scripture in that day. He says, we do this to build you up. Second thing is, he says, I, they say his letters are waiting strong, his bodily presence is weak. In other words, this is not a good-looking man. I love Paul. Acts of Thecla, a secular writing, said that Paul was short and bald. I'm in. It's not in the Bible, but I'm sure it's right. Paul was not, and he doesn't argue with this. He doesn't say, hey, man, I'm good looking. He doesn't argue with it. Basically, they said, look, that guy is nothing to look at. Are you kidding me? He's not going to attract anybody, not going to draw anybody. you got to be nuts. Second thing they said, third thing they said is, his speech is of no account. Now, you've got to understand something. You're living in a day when you can get on the Internet and do all this stuff. How many of you know what C-SPAN is? How many of you watch C-SPAN? See, nobody. Because C-SPAN is worthless. It is, obviously, it is our legislature at work. Our men and women giving speeches in the Senate and in the House. Nothing. 
is more boring than that. Nobody watches C-SPAN. God doesn't watch C-SPAN. <laughs> but in this day, you went to C-SPAN. In this day, the orators were huge. Cicero is still named. What they would do is they would have legislative sessions and all the great orators and men were taught from birth in schools how to be a rhetorician. And they would go to these legislative assemblies and they'd watch these guys do oratorical battle. I mean, it was their entertainment. They didn't have Alabama football. They didn't have failures like that. They didn't have that stuff, so they went because these guys were incredible speakers. They say, listen, Paul, he is not an orator. He stinks when it comes to preaching. And they were right. In the book of Acts, he was so long-winded one night, this kid fell out of the window. I mean, he doesn't argue with that. He doesn't say, yes, I am. I'm really good. As a matter of fact, he says, look, I'm not going to compare myself to you people. You're, in, you're comparing yourselves to each other. What they were doing is they were coming in and preaching in the worship service at Corinth and then saying, I had, I had 300 people there. Well, I had 350 there. I mean, it was all this junk. And so he says, you're right. I do have authority. I'm not good looking. And I'm not an orator. But I'll tell you what I do have. I have content that can transform your life. And even they acknowledge that because he said his letters are weighty and strong. In other words, what he wrote was powerful. They agree with that. So he agrees with them. I'm not good looking. I'm not an orator. I do exercise authority. And they agree with him. Look, your content is weighty. It's strong. It impacts life. There is why he wrote the book because he wants them now listen he wants them to move away from an understanding of style to the need of content and that style as great as it might be is not as important as content style can't do what content can do look at what he says in verse 4 the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh now here's what he says now watch this it has divine power to destroy strongholds. You know what a stronghold is? All of us have some. And let me tell you how they start. Let me tell you how they start in your life. They all start from the same thing. When Satan was in the Garden of Eden, and he looks at Eve, and he, he's debating with her, and she says, look, God told us that if we ate from this tree, middle of the garden, if we eat from this tree, that we will die. What does Satan say? Now listen to what he says. This is brilliant. Because this is what will create every stronghold in your life. He said, no, 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 no. You're not going to die. It's the opposite. If you eat from that tree, you become just like he is. Just as smart, just as powerful. This tree that he says you can't have is really holding you back from your fullest potential. Now that, is always the tactic of Satan to put a stronghold in your life. He makes you think that God is ripping you off, that he's unfair, 
that whatever happens in your life isn't fair and it's unjust and, and he's holding you back from the great potential you could have if you just disobeyed him and did this thing over here. And he puts that stronghold in there. Now, the cure, the ability to stop that is the content of the Scripture. And he starts early. For example, if you remember when, right after the resurrection, right there in Galilee on the lake, and Jesus has just looked at Peter and said, you know, he had the thing, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And then he said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And so they finish this dialogue, and then Jesus looks at Peter and he says, oh, by the way, one more thing. You're going to die really badly. There's some guys that are going to carry you where you don't want to go when you die. Just telling you. Peter, being Peter, sees John, and he looks at Jesus and he says, what about John? Is he going to have a bad time like me? Because it's not fair. If Peter has a bad day and John gets to die in his bed watching ESPN, it's not fair. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, sarcasm, satire, whatever phrase you want to use is what Jesus said. Look, if I want him to stay till I come back, is that a problem for you? In other words, you don't worry about him. You worry about you and me. Strongholds come when you think God has ripped you off and he's been unfair. And so that's the cure for not allowing a stronghold to start. But then when a stronghold gets in you, what you have to do again, you come to the content of Scripture and you obey what it says. For example, there's some in here, I'm sure, in the crowd this size, there's some of us in here that we're wrestling with some bitterness. Somebody hurt us. Legitimately, they hurt us. It was unfair. It was not right. They got away with something that nobody caught them at, and we're hurt, and they seem to be doing fine. And after a while, you think, it's not fair that that guy's going through this, and we're bitter. Now, content of the Bible tells you the solution. It says this. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, you can't pray, God, let him have a car wreck tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. You can't do that. Okay? That's not what he means. He says, pray for them. So if a guy really hurts you and you're bitter against him, the cure to that stronghold is to obey the content of Scripture, which is, if he loves to bass fish, this is what you have to pray in the morning. God, bless him. Let him get a ranger bass boat. $47,000, all the equipment, a diesel truck to pull it, and let him go out and catch the biggest bass that's ever been caught at Gibbons Creek. Amen. Now, you're not going to want to do that. But that is the way you handle the prayer because what you're saying to God is, you take care of him, you take care of me. I'm going to obey you and pray for him, not wish against so the content of the scripture destroys strongholds. Look at this. It, it speaks to arguments being destroyed and every lofty opinion raised against another God. The content of scripture absolutely does that. If you took, let's say, knock out the atheists and the agnostics and the Christians. If you take, say, 80% of the Brazos Valley 
in America, obviously, and you ask them, what do you believe about Jesus? Who is he? I guarantee 80% of those people would have a high lofty opinion of him. They would say, yeah, he's a really good guy. He's a good philosopher. He had some great thought, great truth. When he said, you know, do unto others what you'd have them do unto you. I mean, he had some great teaching. Yeah, he's a great moral guy. Seemed to be pretty good. No bad words on him. But uh, is he God? <laughs> no. Is the only hope I have to be okay with God? No. But he's a good guy. But see, the content of Jesus' mouth in this scripture destroys that argument. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then the really killer that made the Jews so furious. The Jews had a four-letter word for God that when they translated, when they were, when they were writing the scripture, when they would come to that four-letter word, Jehovah, we call it Jehovah, Yahweh. When they would come to that four-letter word, they would stop, go wash their hands fast, come back, write those four letters, go back and fast again because that letter was so, that name was so sacred. It was the personal name God gave to Moses. Jesus said, before Abraham existed, and then he used that word, I am. The content of the scripture destroys the argument of 80% of this society. He thought he was God. So if he's not, he's a liar, he's mentally unbalanced, or he is God, but he is not a nice guy. So the argument of the lips of Jesus the statement and the content of the scripture destroy the argument of virtually the entire brass is found. And then he says it takes every thought captive. Scripture says in Galatians 5 that if I allow the spirit to fill me, that it literally says in the Greek, it is impossible for me to fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, my thoughts, my beliefs will be taken captive to the heartbeat of Jesus Christ if the Spirit of God who is in me fills me and controls me. As he controls me, he takes my thoughts captive to Jesus Christ. The content of the Scripture gives you those things. Style doesn't do that. And that's the issue we face today. You say, well, shouldn't we have both? Sensibly, that's what the seminary should be doing. They should be teaching both. I would agree with that. But there is a problem that we're facing. They did a study. The larger the church, the less doctrinal content in the church. You see, you have three ways to go as a church. You can be boring and, and do content. You can be good style and do content. Or you can lower your content and do style. Now, here's what will happen. If you have content and you're boring, you're dead. Nobody's coming. 
If you have content and style, some will come. Generally, people that are serious about that book. But if you do have some of the content, and you have really good style, this is where your biggest numbers will be. The biggest church in the state of Texas has said everywhere, we don't talk about sin, we don't talk about righteousness, we don't talk about judgment. The three things that the Bible says the Holy Spirit talks to us about. So when you remove yourself literally from the work of the Holy Spirit, and yet you're the biggest church in the entire state of Texas, but you're really preacher's good looking, style's good, worship's great, music's phenomenal, this guy's gifted, he's in order, he's smooth, he's clever, he's polished. You get a lot of people. Because we love entertainment. But when you get done and you leave that service, you go, man, God loves me, I feel good, it was great, what a great moment. But when you go home, you can't change a stronghold in your life. You can't win an argument that the enemy's put on you. And you can't take your thoughts captive to Jesus Christ without the content of that scripture being made real in your life by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in you. And the problem is that young pastors are coming out today and they are driven to get a crowd not to make disciples. Now, I'm going to tell you something. And this is really going to be strong, but I'm going to tell you. Staff and I were working Tuesday through the book of Ephesians. And we were in the passage where it said, keep on being angry, we don't sin. And obviously, we began to discuss the fact of Jesus going into the temple and overthrowing the tables in the temple. He never did that in the Jewish parliament. He never did that in the Roman Senate. But he did it in the temple. And this is what he said. My father's house has a purpose of prayer. You've made it a place of thieving. They had switched the purpose. The purpose of a church is not to attract numbers. It is to make disciples. So style and content have to be there. If we get to the point where all we do is style, we've lost the purpose of the blood of Jesus Christ, which is to make disciples. I wonder if Jesus were physically on the planet, if there aren't a number of churches, Southern Baptists, that he'd walk into, throw the pulpit over, run the preacher out, and say, my house is not a house of style, it is a house of truth. And we have got to come back to the place where the content of the Word of God and the indwelling of the Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ is more important than the number of people that show up on Sunday morning. That is our agenda. Father, don't let us ever hear step away from your content don't let us step away from your truth don't let us step away from the blood of your son don't let us step away from his resurrection
his ascension, his return, and your love for us. Father, we don't want strongholds in our life. We want to conquer arguments. We want our thoughts captive to Christ. We want your truth to do those things in us. We want to do it well here. Boy, we want to do it with your truth. Bring that home and make sure that glues itself to this church and these people. In Jesus Christ's name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You never met Jesus? Staff and I are here at the front. We'll be glad to share with you how to do that. God's calling you to be a part of our fellowship. We want you to do that. You just need to come down here and pray. Say, you know, I got some things I need to straighten out in my life. Staff and I are here. We'll be glad to pray with you. So as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart this morning, you come.